0: Hello and welcome to the Royal College of Psychiatrists podcast with me, Ella Marchant. The 3rd of December marks the International Day of Persons with Disabilities, a day which has been globally recognised since 1992 and was established by the United Nations. This day brings focus to both visible and invisible disabilities, the disabilities that are not immediately apparent, such as autism and Asperger's. Psychiatry, of course, has a huge role in intellectual disability, which is a speciality many psychiatrists choose to go into two of which we have speaking today, Dr. Ken Courtney and Dr. Eleanor Brewster. Dr. Ken is a Consultant Psychiatrist in Intellectual Disability and Dr. Eleanor is a Consultant Psychiatrist in Learning Disabilities. We discuss the importance of family for people with disabilities, what we can do as a society to better educate ourselves and the under-representation of people with disabilities in TV and film.
1: Um, working with people with intellectual disabilities, I've always enjoyed it. Uh, um, there's such variety in the work. Um, from a personal point of view, you get a lot of satisfaction out of considering what's the Biological factors are involved in someone's uh, difficulties, um, and then also looking at the social and the psychological aspects uh, of their lives. And sometimes we forget about the psychological experiences people have and how they contribute to to their mental disorders. Um, but these are really important. And as well as that, on, as a doctor, you understand the physical health problems that can. Uh, Result in people having mental uh, disorders, and by bringing all of these together, using your knowledge and pulling all the various factors together to try and s- solve a problem um, can be very satisfying. Satisfying, but it's also very challenging uh, too. And oftentimes, you're not really too sure um, what the the problem is first of all, and also not really too sure what the solution should be. And I think as well, the great thing about it is the complexity. Um, that people uh, present with. So there isn't just one solution, there are many aspects um, to a solution. But I find it very satisfying working with um, people with ID because they they can be very straightforward and they can tell you precisely what they think, both of you and about other things as well. So I find that very refreshing. Um, And also the communication is a big aspect to it as well. You have to be very plain and honest with people um, and not concealing things from people as well, but being very sensitive um, around their needs and how uh, they communicate with each other, too. Uh, Working with families is very important um, to me uh, because you're not just dealing with the one person, you're dealing with the person who lives in a system, lives in a family unit, and they are all affected by whatever is happening to this person. So overall, um, I just find it really satisfying, um, both professionally, but also on a personal level as well.
0: You mentioned quite a lot there, working with families. Is that something that you feel happens more in intellectual disabilities than it would in another discipline of psychiatry?
1: I, I agree. To be honest, I, I think um, the other discipline that comes close to it would be working with children. So, uh, child and adolescent mental health services, um, where you know you really do have to work with the family uh, when you're. Uh, working with adolescents and with young children, Um, but especially in intellectual disability, you really cannot progress unless um, you are working with the families. And even when you're supporting an adult who has uh, a good level of independence, um, you're always reminded that uh, the family is in the background. Not everybody, unfortunately, has a family who they can turn to. And this is another aspect of this role of services is really and providing that support uh, to the person. But um, I've always endeavoured to make connections with uh, the families and get to know uh, what is going on in the background because we as psychiatrists might only see people for a few hours in a month even and trying to understand what is happening with them and yet the people that in the background in their own social networks are very important uh, to them. And especially if you're trying to support someone who is uh, finding it difficult to accept treatments, it can be very helpful being able to explain uh, what you want to do to families uh, who can help them to understand uh, what you're trying to achieve. And I like to think that my aspirations are is always to um, get people to perform to the the best of their potential. Uh, For me, this is uh, very, very important because often people with ID, they're not expected to achieve very much. They're not expected to to do very much in life. And I think this uh, is the wrong approach and it can be quite tragic as well. Um, And we should be looking to actually um, support people and get the most uh, out of people so that they will lead more fulfilling lives.
0: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Uh, anyone with an intellectual disability can achieve a huge amount in their lifetime as well. Eleanor, can we please hear from you next on a little bit about your background and what drew you to working in intellectual disabilities?
2: So my name's Eleanor Brewster and I'm a consultant in the psychiatry of learning disabilities. I've been working with people with intellectual disabilities for about 20 years now I'm the chair of the ID faculty for the Royal College of Psychiatrists in Scotland. And in my clinical practice, I work with people with intellectual disabilities in both inpatient community settings, um, working with people who've got coexisting mental health problems, autism, challenging behaviour, and forensic issues. I was first drawn to the specialty when I was lucky enough as a trainee to be given an intellectual disabilities placement it wasn't a specialty i'd had exposure to before that point um, but I, I found that i really really enjoyed it i very much enjoy working with people with intellectual disabilities i also really enjoy working with the staff teams as well i find that staff working with this group tend to be very patient-centered and um, very can-do solution focused and i've benefited from having some really inspirational colleagues over the years I feel that people with intellectual disabilities face many inequalities and complex difficulties. And I find it really rewarding to be part of that journey with people and hopefully to help in tackling some of those complexities with them, working with patients, the families and the other people who are involved with them. Thank you so much. And
0: echoing what Ken said, is working with the family something that's important to you?
2: Definitely. Definitely. it's it's so important to to get you know to make sure that you you work with people's families because they know the person the best they know um, what the person would want um, they know how to communicate with them in the best way so if if there's any difficulty in communicating you can ask the family to to help with that you can. Um, if you can get them on board then they can they can be part of that team obviously in in working with the with the person and helping them get the best outcomes so they're they're vitally important to the whole to the whole exercise
0: yeah of course because that family have a lot more experience of Mm -hmm. their day-to-day life
2: yes yes they, they they know them over a long period of time and so they're more able to to detect difference as well if you if you meet somebody who's been referred to you for the first time and maybe you don't have a longitudinal knowledge of the person, then you might not know what they're like when they're at their best or when they're well, um, if they've been referred to because they've, they've become mentally ill. And so having someone who has that long term picture and who knows what the person is like when they're, when they're at a good level is, is really important.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, Moving on to the next question, the theme of this year's International Day of Disabled Persons is not all disabilities are visible.
2: As a society, what can we do to better understand and accommodate to this? I think awareness is key to understanding that not all disabilities are visible because of the often invisible nature of intellectual disabilities and autism. It can be harder for people in the population generally to be alert to the type of difficulties that somebody might be facing. But that's true of anybody, isn't it? We never really know what other people are dealing with. Everybody will have interacted with someone with an intellectual disability at some time or another, but might not have realised that or might not have conceptualised it in that way. And I think the more that as a society we can ensure that people with intellectual disabilities are truly valued and seen as being equally entitled as others to education, housing, healthcare and social opportunities, then the more those barriers will hopefully break down.
0: Thank you so much. Ken, could we hear next from you on what we can do as a society to better understand and accommodate the fact that not all disabilities are visible?
1: Um, Indeed, they're not uh, all visible and the ones that come to mind um, are autism, um, epilepsy, ADHD um, and intellectual disabilities um, too. Um, I think we need to be more accepting of people and Knowledge about the uh, disability is also important and this is why our awareness around autism has been very helpful so that people are beginning to realise that in fact uh, the person who you see might appear uh, just like you and I but if there are other things going on in their lives um, and affecting them that will in- inhibit them in some ways in, in functioning how they-, they could be doing it. Um, the, How we could actually help society is being a lot more open about it and being able to talk about um, people's disability. And I think this is perhaps a a challenge for uh, both people who have a disability and people who who don't, is actually to be just more open to talking about um, the difficulties of having a disability. And also, I think we need to be aware of um, unconscious biases that we have towards people who are different, particularly where the disability isn't visible. Um, to us. But we, we have laws in place to uh, protect people um, in in society, like the Equality Act, for example, um, in England. Um, but the the laws um, are one thing. It's actually changing attitudes and culture. is quite another challenge to everyone. And I think we really need to work hard on that. The other thing, of course, is that we need to be looking at people in the round and in terms of their strength, rather than taking... model which is which concentrates on people's weaknesses, people's deficits Um, and this is what you sometimes find in clinical practice of people telling you all the things that the person who has a disability cannot do and not actually telling you what they can achieve and what um, they can contribute um, to um, the community. So I would like to see us having a more um, positive rounded attitude um, towards people and and valuing what they uh, can contribute and what they can do for not just for themselves but for everyone in the wider community.
0: Uh, Ken, what do you wish that people understood just in general more about disability? What what do you think is holding us back so much?
1: Um, I think it's our fear of difference, um, and it's. It's easy for us to to stigmatise people um, because of our own anxiety around what that disability, that defect might uh, have on us. Um, and we need to be a lot more mature in our attitudes and in our thinking um, as well. And to certainly recognise and accept people as human beings, as full human beings. Um, who have lives to live like the rest of us. Um, These attitudes need to be challenged and they need to to change. And the way we can do it, I think, is um, early on, which is through the education process and uh, through families as well, because often people's um, opinions and attitudes are formed um, within the family in which they have grown up and within the social network. So if groups of people are being stigmatised, um, it's easy then to actually carry that on um, as a member of the group, which is unfortunate because um, other people suffer because of uh, those negative attitudes that people hold.
0: Eleanor, why do you think, uh, just going on what Ken said, why do you think that uh, people are still so scared of someone who is different to them in some way? Or why do you think we create a sense of otherness with disability?
2: I think that people are. Frightened of difference, worried of it, and also I think people are apprehensive about um, feeling that they don't know the best way to to approach somebody or the best way to communicate with them if they're not familiar with um, or, or know that they've h- had interactions with, with people with a intellectual disability in the past. They might have this fear of not not approaching them in the right way, of doing something that might might scare them or frighten them, or or that might you know tr- trigger some difficulty for the person and I think there's there's a kind of apprehension around that for people and that's why I think exposure is so important. If if, if people with intellectual disabilities are truly, you know, part of society interacting meaningfully within that, then, then that level of, of fear and uncertainty should be less.
0: Thank you for that. Moving on to the next question, which is building on what we've already said, do you feel there is enough education in schools and in the home to destigmatize disability and in particular intellectual disabilities?
2: I think there's two parts to that. Uh, one is is education in the sense of I suppose speaking to people in schools, and speaking to people and telling them about disability and about the nature of of intellectual disability, what that might be mean for the person what that might be like for them and what their needs might be and the other part is is exposure to people with those with those disabilities difficulties themselves if if people are encountering them encountering them sorry day in day out then they are more likely to to have that knowledge without being explicitly taught it so I think both both things are important the the education itself but also the the education that comes naturally from from being exposed to people with intellectual disabilities.
0: Thank you so much for that, Eleanor. Ken, do you feel there is enough education in schools and in the home to destigmatize disability and in particular intellectual disabilities?
1: Well, I think it is better now than it was, particularly when I was younger and growing up. Um, and of course, we have the legislation in place, the um, Disability Discrimination Act and the Equality Act to support um protect people's uh, rights as well. Um, we are we doing enough? Um, I don't think we will ever do enough. I think we will always need to um, do more because you know times change and generations change as well. and with each new generation, um the education has to take place. the information around disability um has to be repeated. Um, it, within family units, as I said earlier, it is important that um, parents uh, imbue their children with the right attitudes um, and if they don't possess them themselves that can be very difficult um, to um, make a difference uh, within society. So uh, one of the good things I have noticed uh, over the last couple of years is the, the profile of people with disabilities in the media um, and your advertising, ad- advertising campaigns uh, that include people with a disability I believe are very positive um, I know that they have used uh, people with visible um, disabilities uh, such as Down syndrome, in their ads. but in fact it's it's a it's a good method of actually educating people um generally. um and I think you know the the media could move one step forward in looking at people with the invisible disabilities and how uh, we can. Understand difference um, a lot more, a lot more easily, and maybe it becoming less invisible and a bit more uh, visible um, to society. The uh, but there is a problem, I think, um, in that you know social media can be very good and it can help people a lot, um, but I think it can also be quite um, damaging to people, especially people uh, who are different.
0: Do you think that there's enough representation on television or do you think that's something that's just started recently to emerge i feel like um in the past 10 years it's developed enormously but still people with disabilities are still very underrepresented Uh,
1: very much so um and you're right it's um it has happened more recently i'm not sure about 10 years it's um Perhaps, you are know, going back to such uh, films as Rain Man, um, that uh, portrayed a man with, with autism. Um, more recently, there have been uh, more visibility, um, not just in media, but also in uh, sports as well. Um, and you look at the Special Olympics that uh, has had more coverage. And this is where people are actually being celebrated for who they are and for what they can do. Going back to what I was saying earlier about people's um, strengths, which is uh, very important. I think um, we need to be looking at people's differences and celebrating them um, rather than stigmatising people because of the difference, but very much um, acknowledging and celebrating them. Because um, looking again at people, we need to be looking at people in as the sum of all their parts, that is, rather than concentrating on one particular aspect of them, because one part does not define their personality, it doesn't define who they are. And I think this is what the disability movement is saying, is how they want to be defined, and they do not want to be defined specifically by their disability. Um, they want to be accepted as people who actually have another aspect to their character um, whether it is autism whether it is an intellectual disability as well. So I I do feel that uh, we have quite a bit to do um, and going back to what I mentioned about social media, I think social media can be very good, however it can, it can also be used as a weapon. Uh, what I mean by this is where um, people are being bullied on social media and bullying can happen in schools but it can also happen um, outside the schools and in society generally and we really need to watch our behaviour and anyone who is engaging in such behaviour it needs to be called out as they say and it needs to be highlighted and, um, and people really shouldn't be allowed to Um, stigmatize people to accentuate the difference from other people and to criticize it this is just not acceptable so uh, as I said earlier I think um, celebrating differences is very important and uh, we need to do a lot more of it in society.
0: Yeah I absolutely could not agree more. Eleanor do you feel like people with invisible disabilities are uh, in any way represented in film and TV what is your perspective on that?
2: I think that that has been changing I think there are there is more representation now but I think that there could be a lot more done I think especially with people with intellectual disabilities autism other mental health conditions um being present not not simply to make the point of being somebody there with that condition but just naturalistically happening to have that condition um if if that makes sense, not not to make a plot point or to, or to make any, not for any specific purpose in that respect, but just because they happen to be there. Um, I, th- I think there's, there's sometimes a real lack of that kind of representation, and I think that's really important.
0: Absolutely. So in what way has COVID-19 impacted the mental health of people with disabilities? Eleanor, can we hear from you first, please?
2: So I work with people with um, intellectual disabilities who are inpatients and also who live in care homes and I've seen how difficult the COVID pandemic's been for them. Uh, The disruption to family visits has been huge, Uh, the loss of social encounters in a group who may already have quite small social circles and the loss of normal routine for them and not being able to go out and do the activities in the community that they would normally enjoy and and rely on to, to give them structure. We know also that COVID um, has caused isolation and poverty for, for many, many people. And people with intellectual disabilities are in many ways more vulnerable to those types of problem than, than others. Many types of encounter health education have moved off online at this time. Um, people with intellectual disabilities might struggle to use those technologies or might not even have access to the internet at all, and so therefore not be able to access those things at all. With healthcare... There's many face-to-face or encounters that would have been face-to-face that have been suspended now, made less frequent, or just cancelled. And that can make it harder to detect if someone's struggling, if they're becoming unwell, um, if they're having some symptoms but maybe not able to demonstrate them in a brief encounter or in a non-face-to-face encounter, and that can result in them having delayed medical treatment. Also, many day services and day centres had closed um, in the first lockdown and some still suspended and there's again a loss of structure and a loss of um, routine meaningful activity and social contact outside the home for people with that. Another thing that I think is important to think about is mask wearing that's obviously really really important for everybody and especially given that people with intellectual disabilities are medically vulnerable so really important to protect people in that way but it can make communication harder because you can't see facial expression so much so i think we need to be really aware um to use gesture to be more expressive to use other aids to communicate i know also that some of my patients have worried that i'm wearing a mask and maintaining social distance because i'm worried that i'm going to catch something that will catch covid from them and i always make sure to explain that that's not what i'm doing i'm taking these precautions to protect them um, and to make sure that I don't infect them. So we know also that there have been some deaths of people with um, intellectual disability from coronavirus itself, many deaths, and we know that people with intellectual disabilities have got more medical vulnerabilities than some other population groups. There was a recent report from Public Health England that estimated that people with intellectual disabilities are more than three times as likely to die from COVID than than other population groups. So there's many layers of disadvantage here for people with intellectual disabilities. There's the effects of COVID itself, but also the secondary effects, social, financial, and the access to treatment for other conditions and the risk of mental health conditions developing from all those disadvantages.
0: Thank you so much
2: for that. Ken, can you pick up on...
0: um, what anything that Eleanor has said is is anything that she's saying um, true in your in your line of work as well?
1: Oh, everything, every word she's spoken is uh, very relevant um, to around the country, not just in one particular area. The great tragedy of COVID, of course, is the level of death rates among people with intellectual disabilities, and it's it's slowly been revealed um about you know how it is affecting this population initially we understood how it was affecting people in um nursing homes care homes um of the elderly that is but you know again it was a hidden population people weren't really, really tapping into it and it's only now that we're beginning to learn about the impact that it's having um on with uh, id and it's and you know it's shockingly high the death rate uh, among this group of people um and it's it's we need to be aware of it and we need to be protecting people. As Eleanor says, you know, she wears a mask for very good reason. It's just to protect people's health and it's so important that we communicate that message to the families and also people with intellectual disabilities uh, too. Um, in terms of the impact it's having on people's mental health, a lot of it I've seen is uh, down to the isolation and the usual structures and routines being lost being withdrawn, and especially if people have evading of you know a day service in their local area or a club that um, is regularly open and when th- that no longer exists, You know a person's meaning for life. Um, might also be diminished because of it. Um, and but especially if you don't understand why things are being done and you can't articulate how you're feeling about it, that can have a real knock-on effect and a real impact on your mental health, leading to you know, more anxiety uh, more low mood. And we saw uh, quite a bit of this uh, during the lockdown. But it doesn't just affect the person, it also has a big impact on their support network, whether they're living in a support living environment or living with the family. And families have lost out as well because of their caring obligations um, towards um, their adult child, for example, uh, with an intellectual disability and how to keep them going during a very difficult time, which is affecting all of us. Um, so there's a, a lot of demands have been placed on people, um, on all of us, but I think they are just... Um, even greater uh, if you have an intellectual disability and and especially if you don't fully understand why things um, have changed and why you can't do things like uh, you used to do um, and as I said um, how you're communicating how you're feeling but um, overall uh, Covid has had a huge impact on the lives of people with intellectual disabilities.
0: Um, Eleanor as well before you talked about the stopping of family visits or the difficulty that family have visiting people with intellectual disabilities, and the importance of family, is something we've talked about throughout this interview. What uh, what could potentially be put
2: in place so that families can still visit? So I, th- I think one of the really important things about about this has been that it's it's not just about the the protections that we try to. Um, put in place for our patients, but also that a lot of the families are really, really concerned uh, because we we could do our best to try and make reasonable adjustments to make sure that the, that the person could have a family visit in whatever way possible, for example, meeting in an outside space, maintaining social distance. But with a lot of my patients, I've found that their families don't want to expose them to that. They're worried that that would be more distressing for them than, than not visiting at all and so even when you when you even when you do your best to try to get past these difficulties they can still remain in a a very real sense for the people.
0: Ken what do you feel could be done differently during Covid to uh, increase the socials that what we talked about earlier social circles what do you think could be done during Covid to make sure that people with intellectual disabilities, people with invisible disabilities still get social contact and contact with their families.
1: I think we need to be a lot more creative around the whole issue and concentrating on the connections, the social networks that people have. And we're using technology, and which is very useful. And as Eleanor said, not everybody has access to it. So I think we should be um facilitating people's access you know, and and empowering them to actually use uh, new technology um teaching people with intellectual disabilities how to use laptops how to use uh, zoom um is very would be very beneficial uh, to them but also raising um the level of connection that people have And sometimes the barrier is not necessarily the person with the ID, but those around them, the families and support uh, workers as well, who, again, may not be terribly educated in using technology. And I think we need to be helping people uh, to make those connections, Um, because this is how things are going to go in the future. Um, So once COVID has passed through, um, we're not going to go back to how things were 100%. So we will be using these tools. and Everyone, support workers, uh, families, and people with ID um, need to be helped to use them more productively for them but it's it's one thing having a screen relationship with someone and um, it's quite different from actually having an in-person relationship uh with um each other and and this is something that we can't lose sight of and Eleanor you know highlighted that here, where it is you know families do want to connect with people they do want to see people but they have their fear that they could actually um, endanger their lives so we need to think around it um, a lot more um in, in where I'm working at the moment, one thing that is actually very useful is having organised walks um, for family members and with um, sometimes with staff as well uh, to support people and be able to maintain that uh, level of social distancing. But for people to actually engage in a joint activity uh, can be very uh, beneficial to everybody. One thing I just did want to uh, remind people and that has happened uh, during Covid is because of the impact of Covid on people's mental health um, services have been using more medication than they were and of course um, the thrust of our practice over the years has been to reduce uh, a reliance on medication what we call psychotropic medication um, to help people with how they're feeling and with their behaviour as well. And we have been trying um, very valiantly over the years to actually reduce the reliance on this. And we've had quite a bit of success. Um, Unfortunately, with COVID, um, we found that families and carers are asking um, for more medication to uh, help people with intellectual disabilities. Um, And this is one of the unfortunate consequences um, of And partly because the usual structures are not there. So the usual um, sources of support that people get through, whether it's psychology, whether it's through social care support or even nursing support, um, isn't there. And now it's being substituted with medication. I certainly hope that um, once we're through the pandemic that this will, will change and and we will move forward and will not be relying so much on medication to support people.
0: That's quite surprising, I didn't actually know that. So, who decides that uh, medication is going to be increased?
1: Um, well, it's a it's, it should be a joint decision, a joint decision between the prescriber, um, who's often the psychiatrist or the GP, um, and the, the carers and the person with an intellectual disability, if they have the capacity, the mental capacity, to understand um, the issues. Um, and colleagues have said to me that you know, they have, try to resist it, you know, whether it's increasing a dose of medication or introducing um, a new drug. Um, and and yet you have families and support workers coming back to you and saying, we really need something. The person is very, very distressed. And it might be in reaction to a new diagnosis, um, but oftentimes it's just a current diagnosis just becoming worse. Um, And um, colleagues have reluctantly um, prescribed uh, medication and extra medication um, as well. Because what what can they do? Um, this person is terribly distressed and also the fact that their placement where they're living, whether it's with the family or in an independent placement, could be at risk of um, breaking down and the person could end up going into an inpatient service, into a hospital. And that is not what we want to happen. And simply because, you know, they weren't able to uh, be supported in the community.
0: That was Dr Ken Courtney and Dr Elna Brewster joining RC Psych for International Day of Persons with Disabilities. A huge thank you to both of them for taking the time to speak with us. If you would like more information about a career in intellectual disabilities, please go to our website and select Become a Psychiatrist. Thank you for listening.